I can't think of a better way to start our morning than, Lord, I need you. That is exactly how I am feeling this morning. And I think that is how Jonah felt in the depths of this fish. Um, And that need of dependence on God, I think that's what finally made him obedient. And so I think that's a wonderful way to start our morning. So we have been for two weeks looking at the book of Jonah. And so last week we started in this book and this week we'll finish looking at it. And I, I have loved this, um, this study of this particular book um, because once again we have a very relatable character. Jonah is a look in the mirror and we might not like what we see I certainly did not like what I saw in myself as I studied this book this week. I have felt more convicted by this book than any other that we have studied so far this year. Let me assure you, I am Jonah. I am Jonah all the time. I am quick to accept grace but slow to offer it. I want a God who is partial like I am. I see certain sins as worse than others and judgment therefore deserved. I look at people who don't know any better and I think shame on you. It's even worse because I have grown up in the faith, you see. Sometimes I think that those who have um, God save them when they're older, when they've gone through more struggles and more mistakes in their life, are better at offering grace to others than I am. I've had the Lord in my life as long as I can remember. I'm like God's chosen people, Israel. And I look at others who don't know any better, and I judge them while at the same time being prideful and thinking that my sins are somehow not as bad as theirs. Oh, how foolish I can be. Oh, how often I forget the grace that I myself receive every single day. You see, I am Jonah. And that is why I find this lesson today to be a really difficult one. I find that it is one that I am completely inadequate to be up here teaching you today. And so it is with that that I would like to start today in prayer. Prayer that God would help me, broken, weak human being that I am, to somehow teach this lesson that I myself struggle with every day. So let's pray. Father God, you tell us that you use our weaknesses to show your glory. So Lord, today I come to you, weak person that I am. And I ask that you would just use me today to teach your word that your words would be on my lips, Lord, and that you would just 
speak to our hearts today, God. Lord, I pray that you would just touch our hearts and remind us of those moments that perhaps we have been judgmental of others and help us to learn to love like you do. As impossible as that seems, Lord, teach us to love today. I pray that you would open our mind and our hearts to what you want us to learn in this book. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so as we start today, I'd like you to focus in your mind the people that you perhaps find most difficult to love. Flash the faces of the persons, types, or groups of people who you might be most critical or judgmental of. Think of those personalities that you want little to do with. Perhaps they're not believers, and therefore we feel more justified in our judgments of them. So when I was preparing for this lecture, I found a book by Tim Keller called The Prodigal Prophet. Um, And I'm mentioning it now first because I want to cite my sources early on. Instead of repeatedly referring to this, I'm going to let you know right now that a lot of what I'm going to share with you today comes from that book. Um, And so if you are moved by or interested in the book of Jonah, that is a great resource to look at it further. But I also mention it because I liked the title, The Prodigal Prophet, Keller entitles it that because he said the story of Jonah, or the book of Jonah, reads a lot like the story of the prodigal son. The first half of the book reminds us of the prodigal son, as Jonah runs from God, rejecting his call, only to be brought to the depths and return to the Lord. But the second half... This is the half that I find myself convicted by, is the half that reminds us of the older brother in that story, who obeys his father, but at the same time is angry about the graciousness offered to this repentant sinner. As Jonah is angry with God for the grace offered to Nineveh. And so I'm going to walk through the book of Jonah quickly this morning, um, spend a little more time on certain parts, but we're just going to walk our way through this story, which I hope you've had a chance to look at this past week. And so first of all, the call of Jonah. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up. Before me. So, this book first starts off like any other prophetic book as a prophet receives a call. But then immediately we see this is an unexpected story. First of all, it is shocking that God is calling Jonah to be a prophet to a Gentile city, a city made up of Assyrians, an enemy to God's own people. This is shocking. It's shocking that God would even call Jonah here, that he would want to warn Nineveh at all. And as we started looking at this book last week, we learned that the Assyrians were a very ruthless, cruel, and violent people. And yet God 
wants to warn them of impending doom if they don't stop their actions. But Jonah is our silent prophet here. Through much of the beginning of the story, he doesn't speak. He doesn't argue with God, but simply gets up and goes in the opposite direction of where he was called to go. At least Moses, when he was called, entered into conversation with God, even an argument with him. But that argument got the promise of God going with him, the promise of his presence to be his strength, a promise that we today rely on as well. But Jonah had no such conversation with God. He could not get away quickly enough. Called to get up, he goes down. Called to go east, he goes west. From being in God's presence, he flees God's presence. This is a shocking response of a prophet called by the Lord. But Jonah gets on this ship and he encounters these mariners. So Jonah runs, but the Lord will not let him go. He hurls, it says, a great wind upon the sea. We get this vivid picture of God launching his tempest on the sea around Jonah's boat. But here is the interesting thing. For Jonah, the storm was the consequence of his sin. But the sailors were caught up in the storm as well. You see, most often the storms of our life come upon us not as the consequence of a particular sin, but as the unavoidable consequence of living in a fallen and troubled world. But we see his sin endangers others. The effects of sin are never private. But whether the storms in life are brought about by our own disobedience or not, God can and does work out his good purposes in our lives through them. God uses storms. I'm sure we all have seen that in our own lives as well. You see, every difficulty is not the result of the sin, of sin, but every sin brings difficulty. However, God uses those difficulties, those storms, to bring about faith and love and patience and humility into our character, because storms build character. This particular storm builds the character of Jonah, but it also builds the character of these pagan sailors as well. But meanwhile, our prophet Jonah is fast asleep. The pagans on the boat are seeking deliverance while Jonah is merely sleeping. This sleep gives him a temporary escape, and I'm sure we all can relate to the need for a temporary escape at times. But perhaps this sleep was also a sign that he is dead to the needs of the world around him. Here, Jonah is playing no active part in God's working on this boat, and he is working. You see, the Gentile sailors are more awake than Jonah in this passage. They're doing what they should be doing, seeking deliverance. And here is a foreshadowing of what is yet to come, as Nineveh is more responsive to God's call than Jonah, our prophet of the Lord. 
which causes me to pause for a moment and ask myself if I am always responsive when God calls, or do I often think that I have it all together and thereby become less responsive than the sinners? Perhaps my own pride at times makes me fail to seek God. When others who see their sin cry out for deliverance. These sailors may be crying out to false gods, but their actions are correct. They know they are dependent upon something greater than themselves, and they knew how to express that dependence. You see, right belief is no better than wrong belief if it's not corroborated by right actions. And oftentimes, we ourselves can be fast asleep to all but our own self-interest. We can be blind and deaf to the cries of those who are struggling in this world. We might even blame others for their struggle as we sit from a comfortable distance in our own complacency. Now, I fall into this category all the time blind to those in need around me while I comfortably focus on my own self-interest. But as we see in this passage, they are all in the same boat. Their safety depends on what each other does. They are in the same storm, subject to the same peril, and they want the same outcome. We are all believers, non-believers, in the same boat. Never was that saying more true than it was here for Jonah. He may have had private faith, but at this point, it's of no public good. He's looking out for himself and ignoring the cries of those around him. And now the pagan captain comes to him and he says, Arise, go. The same words that God used when calling Jonah at the very beginning of our passage. Now a Gentile mariner speaks God's very own words out of his mouth to the prophet. Keller points out God sent a prophet to point the pagans to himself, but here the pagans are pointing the prophet to God. But finally... Jonah owns up to his mistakes and becomes their scapegoat. He takes responsibility for his actions, and finally he turns away from his own self and looks at these frightened mariners. Keller points out that one of the very first steps in coming to one's sense spiritually is when we finally start thinking of somebody, anybody but ourselves. And here Jonah substitutes himself so that they can be safe, bringing them to a genuine faith in the Lord and a fearing of the Lord. And as soon as Jonah hits the water, the God who he did not trust miraculously saves him. So now we reach the point of the fish in Jonah's prayer. It says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. A lot of time and discussion is focused around this particular fish in our story. 
So personally, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. I will just say that this fish is simply the miraculous way that God saves Jonah. It is his instrument of deliverance. The subject, however, of these verses is not the fish. It is the Lord. The importance of this section is not the fish. It is the experience that Jonah has with the Lord. This experience causes Jonah to completely, finally have to completely depend upon God. He reaches the very bottom, literally the greatest depths, and it is there that he is changed. However, it is not just his experience at the bottom that changes him. It is prayer at the bottom. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time going over his prayer. However, I will say that this prayer shows us how to pray in the midst of our own failure. When we have disobeyed God and we call upon him. So when you find yourself there, as we inevitably all will, read this prayer. Make it your own. Because it's often when we feel like a failure, broken, condemning ourselves, that we find it most difficult to pray. Sometimes because we believe that we don't have any right to call upon God, and other times because we think he wouldn't even listen anyway. However, if the story of Jonah teaches us anything, he teaches us that no matter what we have done, God pursues us. Think about that for a moment, how we all long to be pursued. But we have a God who pursues us. He goes to great lengths to get our attention. He never fails to hear our prayers. God meets us even in our sin and brokenness, even in the belly of a fish. And one reason that I think prayer really changes us is when it brings us to confession. I think the story of Jonah reminds us of the real importance of regular confession. It would have been easy for Jonah to forget his own mistakes and instead focus on the mistakes of the Ninevites and therefore not want to offer them grace. However, it's when we are in confession that we remember the grace that we ourselves receive every day. And then we overflow with that grace and are able to offer it better to others. So Jonah prays to God. And then finally, towards the end of the prayer, he is able to declare God's grace. And it is then that he is released by the fish back into the land of the living. Jonah's real deliverance, however, doesn't come from his release from the fish, but from his acknowledgement of his sin confession of it, and acknowledgement of God's grace. It is then that Jonah declares this important verse in our passage and in the rest of the Bible, what I have vowed I will make good, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And it is then that the fish vomits him up onto the earth. 
So then we reach chapter 3 as Jonah finally reaches Nineveh. Now I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time in chapter 3 because you know the story. Jonah has more success than other prophets as Nineveh responds in repentance. To Jonah's shock, the people don't lay hands on him, but instead the entire city responds to his call. It says in this passage, By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently upon God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So last week, Betsy mentioned that it's pointed out by many historians that Assyria had already experienced a series of famines, plagues, revolts, and eclipses that led up to this teaching of Jonah. They were already nervous. God had been preparing their hearts for Jonah's message already. However, what happens here is nonetheless amazing. The city of people who pride themselves on violence humble themselves in repentance. And this would have been the perfect ending to our story, wouldn't it? It's definitely one that I myself would have preferred because it is the last chapter where I find myself convicted. The last chapter is a shocking one. One would expect the repentance of Nineveh to be the perfect ending and Jonah to leave happy that his mission was a success. However, that is not what we find as we reach chapter 4. God was able to turn from his anger, but Jonah wasn't. Chapter 4, verse 1, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. This final startling chapter is where the real lesson of the entire book lies. Readers are now let in on a secret behind Jonah's fleeing God's call in chapter 1. He expected this. You can almost hear him saying, I knew you would do something like this. They only repented because they were scared. Jonah is confused and angry because the Lord had promised to preserve Israel and accomplish his purposes in the world through them. But how can the Lord keep that promise while at the same time show mercy to their enemies? The will of God and the political fortunes of Israel seem to be going in completely different directions. Hear what Jonah says against God in chapter 4, verse 2. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah seemed to have no difficulty being swallowed and spat out by a fish in chapter 2, but from the beginning of chapter 1 all the way through chapter 4, he has some huge problems with a great God. 
He knew the truth about God, but he couldn't accept the implications of this truth. And here Jonah uses God's own words against him. These are the words from Exodus 34. Jonah sets God against God, all to justify himself. He reads the Bible selectively, which I think we all do at times. Keller points out in his book that if we feel more righteous as we read the Bible, we are misreading it. We are missing its central message. We are reading and using the Bible the right way only when it humbles us, critiques us, and encourages us with God's love and grace despite our flaws. You see, Jonah felt that mercy had to be deserved. And to put it simply, Nineveh did not deserve it. He could not accept what he felt was Yahweh cheapening his mercy by offering it to all. This reminds us of the parable of those who had worked all day in the vineyard, accusing their employer of injustice when he paid the same wage as those who had worked only an hour or so. They were angered at their employer's generosity. This didn't seem fair. But God is reminding Jonah that his grace extends to all. This is a message that extends the gospel to the Gentiles. Here we are better able to see how God relates to the nations and not just his chosen people, Israel, as Jonah would have liked it. This implies that the chosen ones are not better than others but instead have a particular responsibility towards the others for articulating the ways of God. And so it is with us. We have a responsibility to share God with the world, even to those who we feel don't deserve his grace, because he loves them too. Jonah could not accept that the law of grace should work in favor of his enemies. However, at the same time, he could not accept a life without grace, as we see with this incident with the plant. Jonah had compassion for this plant. He wept over it. His heart was attached to it. And that, we learn, is how God feels about people. This is radical. Don't miss it. This is the language of attachment that God applies to himself. He weeps over the lostness of Nineveh. The love of attachment makes us vulnerable, and God applies that to himself. When God speaks about Nineveh, he says that they are a people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. What an amazing and gracious way to speak about Nineveh. Think about it. These people were violent, horrible to human beings, and yet God pictures them as spiritually blind. They've lost their way. They don't understand the source of their struggle or what to do about it. How often do we, when we look at people who have brought trouble into their lives by their own mistakes, think, 
serves them right. Or perhaps we mock them. Real compassion, the kind of compassion God has for these Ninevites is one that means when they struggle, I struggle as well. When they hurt, I hurt. This is an uncomfortable kind of love. Are we ready to do that? But this is who Jesus was. Do you know this Jesus? He loved people this way. This is who we are called to be, and it is a high calling indeed. It is one that I fail to live up to over and over and over again. But Jesus, when he was riding into Jerusalem on the last week of his life, knowing that he would suffer at the hands of these people, it says in Luke nineteen forty-one through 42, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. This is the same God who asked for forgiveness for those who were killing him, for they did not know what they were doing. Do you know this Jesus? He is the weeping God of Jonah 4 in human form. We can only look in wonder at his heart. We can't live up to it, but we can try to have compassion on others, knowing that truly everybody matters to our God. Even those who in themselves deserve nothing but contempt should be treated as if they were the Lord himself. Because his image is upon them all. I love how Rosemary Nixon in the Bible Speaks Today commentary put it. She says, yet enemies and others who do not fit into our scheme of understanding have a particular role to play in God's gracious economy. They may well be God's way of opening us up to a greater God than we are able to perceive from within our own bunker of belief. The living Lord is always greater than we humans can know. To accept that in his freedom... God may use our enemies to challenge us, teach us, and enable us to grow into deeper maturity and a greater likeness to Christ may prove to be a painful and humiliating growth point. The command to love your enemies, to pray for them and be actively kind towards them has never been an easy or a popular teaching. You see, Jonah longed for a God who was partial like himself instead of a God who is gracious, merciful, and responsive to the cries of all creation. He wanted his own personal God rather than the real one. And so, in conclusion, I wanted to end today with a question that ends our book. The final verse of Jonah has a question that God asks. It says, And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, 
in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. This question is left unanswered. We never hear the repenting of Jonah or if he still felt justified in his anger. That is because the author wants you to provide your own answer. For you are Jonah. I am Jonah. Who has God put on your mind today? Who do you have a hard time loving? Are there people that we resist loving because of their contradiction to our values, beliefs, or lifestyle? Who are our personal Ninevites? If the Lord called you to arise, go, what would be your response? What would be most difficult for you to obey? One commentary I read ended with this thought on the book of Jonah. The gospel is not our private possession. Evangelism and mission are not an aspect of a well-rounded congregational program. They are the reason for all we do in worship, education, and fellowship. Tim, in his sermon on Sunday, which related really well with our lesson today, and I love when that happens, said that the life of humble servanthood is not limited to those who we think deserve it because Jesus washed Judas's feet as well. If you call Jesus your Lord, you are called to pick up the basin and the towel. That is the message of Jonah as well. We are called to love, called to have compassion just like Jesus did. And so let's close with listening to this song by Casting Crowns called Jesus, Friend of Sinners. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we are all so grateful for all that you have forgiven us for for the mercy that you have poured out on us over and over again. Lord, remind us of that as we look at others that we encounter throughout our days, Lord. Help us to be loving, God. For you are so loving and good in a way that just all we can do is look in wonder on the love that you bestowed on all of us, Lord. Help us to just have compassion and love for the people that you love so dearly. I pray that you would be with us as we go and discuss this in our groups, Lord. I pray that it would be a blessing and that you would just help us to leave here and see people as you see them. Break our hearts for what breaks yours, Father. We love and we praise you. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks.